0: Well, it's over. Nashville Predators lose 5-3 to the Colorado Avalanche in Game 4, which means the Preds are swept for the first time in franchise history. We will discuss what went wrong and who's to blame for the Preds' collapse towards the end of the season. Uh, Plus, I Guess, good news. Uh, Roman Yossi is a Norris finalist. UC Saros is a Vezina finalist. We'll talk about their chances to win today on a very somber Locked On Predators podcast.
1: Your Locked On Predators, your daily podcast on the Nashville Predators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Thank you for making Locked On Predators your first listen of the day. I'm Nick Morgan. I'm a writer and editor at ontheforecheck.com. And I have a partner in crime.
1: You do. I am Ann Kimmel. I'm a writer at ontheforecheck.com.
0: And does it it feel like we were kind of talking about this like yesterday after the show? Mm -hmm. Um, It just felt like. Everyone, you and I included, the Preds fan base. We kind of went into last night's game with just the mentality of let's just get this over with, like, let's just let's just let this thing die. And it, 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 we went into that with mentality, but it's very weird because the Predators, you know, our fan base, the team, you know, their whole identity is like never give up, never say die. You know, we play our best when our back's against the wall. But I don't know what it is about this year, and Like, this last few months has just made me defeated, sort of. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think part of that mentality is, you know, it's great. It gets you a lot. But eventually, where it leads is emotional exhaustion. And I think that's kind of the point that Predators fans have hit with this team. And I think... You look back at uh, Rene at the end of the season retiring, and you look at the up and down of this season where expectations were low. Oh, wait a minute. We've got these records breaking. We've got you know, a great performance from Saros and net, and expectations kind of shifted, and then we hit the all-star break, and it just kind of fell apart. And then you make it into the playoffs – after a disaster of a game against the Arizona Coyotes and you make it into the playoffs and you perform so poorly in the playoffs, I think everybody is emotionally exhausted from this whole Nashville Predators experience right now, because nobody knows what to hang on to. You know, when you look at this team, what do you hang on to? Yeah. We're tired.
0: Yeah. There (laughs) is. And again, (laughs) There are so many ways that we can take this post-series discussion, and hey, the good news is we have an entire week of shows, Um, so we're not going to get to all of the angles, all of kind of the breakdown today, Um, but trust me, there's plenty to talk about throughout the week, Um, and so be sure you're tuning in, because... Everything like if you have a question, if you have a prevailing thought, if you have a hot take, chances are we've thought of it, too. And we have a show planned around it. So do not fret if, you know, something you you want covered isn't exactly talked about today because we have so much time to kind of think about what's next for the Nashville Predators. And that's the million dollar question is what's next for the Nashville Predators, um, we will touch on some of that today. But first, let's talk about last night. Game four. Uh, Predators lose five to three. Uh, this was a game and it sounds like faint praise in this point, but the Preds yeah. played very, very well. Uh, in fact, in the third period. Kind of looked like they were on the up and up, maybe had a chance to, to win it. And then two very, very quick goals, kind of stared it in the other direction. 5-3 was the final. And what was your one word to describe last night's game?
1: My one word to describe last night's game is hocktopsy. So when something dies and nobody can quite pinpoint the exact reason for the death, you do an autopsy. Well, we need to do a hawk because this Nashville Predator season died a horrible death in four games, the first sweep in franchise history. And we really need to figure out why that is. And of course, you have the obvious factors. You know, the Colorado Avalanche are a great team. They are a Stanley Cup favorite you know, and all of that. But there are elements of this failure, this end of the season that really have to be looked at by the Nashville Predators. And so I think when you talk about last night's game, you talk about, we had a much better performance. It looked like the Predators were going to win. Oh wait, the Predators couldn't hold on to a lead. There's a lot more underlying things there that, Predators fans and Predators front office and Predators locker room are taking a close look at. So my one word to describe last night's game is hocktopsy. Topsy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you sum like you summed it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's perfect. And I like, I really don't have like much to add to that because that's such a good summary of kind of where the Preds are. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, my one word, uh, was Corleone, uh, as in Michael Corleone from Godfather part three. Um, and for those of you who haven't seen Godfather part three, uh, number one, don't waste your time. Cause that was the worst Godfather in the series. Um, but this was kind of the, you know, talked about the tail end of Michael Corleone, who AKA Al Pacino's character in the Godfather series. Um, you know, it was kind of his later years in life and, you know, he went into the movie, you know, he was kind of estranged from his family, um, you know, wound up getting kind of back into the game, sort of got back to like his mojo a little bit, things started you know, going a little bit right for him, you know, his, he was back with Kay, his, his wife, Uh, you know, he had kind of reconnected with his kids. Everything was going right. And it just looked like, Oh, okay, well maybe, you know, we went into this movie with him being an absolute asshole and kind of being in this awful situation. And oh, look, he's going to change, he's going to learn something from it. He is going to end on a high. Um, and what happens is he meddles in some stuff, he gets his daughter killed, and the last shot of him is him basically dying alone. And it's nobody's around him but his little dog um and that's that's kind of the thing was hey you know it it looked like he was gonna go on the up and up like rebuild everything learn from his mistakes and then right at the last minute it's like nope (laughs) his fate was sealed and i feel that way about the nashville predators from really this entire series you know Mm -hmm. it, it felt like you know we went into it sort of expecting them to you know you can freezing cold take this all you want but I did think the Nashville Predators were going to compete. We have said that mm-hmm. multiple times that we didn't think the preds would win but we thought they would no. compete. We would thought they, you know, would bring the fight and just as every game went on it was just, you know, I found myself watching the games and I'm just saying I don't know who this team is. Mm-mm. Like this is it, not yeah. this is not the Nashville Predators we're used to seeing. This is not the Nashville Predators we saw two months ago, like they are a shell of the team that got them to this point. And, you know, the further the Colorado series went on, you know, yeah, like their fate was pretty much sealed as the series went on. And then, yeah, even in game four, you kind of had this moment where you're like, oh, maybe things will go out. Maybe they'll, you know, they still might lose the series, but they get to go out in front of their home fans on a high you know, kind of give one last tribute to the Smashville Faithful. And then they blew that too by yeah. two things, really, of their own volition. You know, two kind of blown plays. Although, credit to Kale McCarr, uh, because that setup uh, was absolutely beautiful to yes. Marina Skushkin on that fourth Oh my God. Like that, that was a highlight, real worthy shot. And then Devin Taze, that, you know, that part down shot. To, to tie things up um, kind of ironic that it happened when Matt Duchesne was injured on the other side of the ice. I uh, know considering what happened in a earlier game with the avalanche this year, yeah. um, different story for another day, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just deflating deflating is the word and yeah.
1: to see the game end, you know, towards the end and to see things shift and you have, A Nashville Predator in the penalty box, sitting there watching the Colorado Avalanche score a power play goal. It's like this is the most apt and horrible way to summarize this postseason series and a lot of the struggle that this team has had in the recent regular series. You know, just little Philip Forsberg. With his face pressed up, up against the penalty box glass, just watching the season be flushed down the drain. I mean,
0: okay. I'm, I'm picturing that as like a disappointed kid who can't afford to go into like the candy store. And will yes, Wonka. like Charlie, Willy Wonka, not Willy Wonka. Charlie, no, not Willy Wonka. <laughs> scene where Charlie is like looking sadly through a window at all the other kids having fun.
1: Yeah, but not Willy Wonka. But yes. It just, you know, it was like, this is so pathetic and awful and sad and horribly appropriate to see the last, you know, two minutes of the Predators season end with a man advantage for the Colorado Avalanche. You know, we've said it all season, penalties were going to cost this team, and and there are a lot of other things going on with this team, and like Nick said, we're going to break that down as the week goes on, but... How apt to have it kind of go out like that, you know, this this season ended not with a bang, but with a
0: whimper. <laughs> yeah. So that's I want to get into kind of the big picture of the Nashville Predators season and maybe kind of pinpoint what went wrong. You know, how did we get to this point? Um, and maybe some clues last night as to the future mm. of this team. Uh, that's something very interesting that we're going to talk about. But first, though, want to take a moment to mention today's show brought to you by our friends at bet online bet online continues to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info you can find the latest odds news and sports developments including this year's basketball playoffs major league baseball then the rest of the stanley cup finals fights and even next season's nlf futures bet online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoff info esports and more so head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action, bet online where the game starts. So yeah, as Ann mentioned, we there's a lot of angles uh, that we're going to be covering in the next few days. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about what needs to happen with this team moving forward. Some specific changes: um, is David poyle going to be back? Which is a very interesting conversation considering some of the talk around the NHL. Uh, also, what's what's Phil Forsberg's future? Should the should the Preds re-sign him at this point? That's another thing. So those are a couple episodes we have coming up later in this week. Um, for now, though, and kind of want to talk big picture and what went wrong for the Nashville Predators this season. Where do you think it just kind of all fell apart?
1: I I wish I had a really succinct answer to that question. And I think it could be an easy answer if you didn't look at things like Matt Duchesne's season, Roman Yossi's season, Philip Forsberg's season, UC Saro's season, because those are sort of the the hiccup in the bell curve of what in the heck went wrong with the Nashville Predators. This is a competitive rebuild year. We're going to come to rue the day we heard those words from David Poyle, for sure.
0: It really put us all off track, didn't it?
1: like what does that even mean well if this is it we'd like a different kind of rebuild um so but i think when you there are these anomalies that make this season a little bit more tricky to pin down the anomalies of those players having great seasons you had tanner Janelle having a breakout year so i i really think this is one of the most difficult hawk to do because there are some obvious things, obviously penalties were a problem, but it makes you go back and wonder did the predators, you know, is the style of play that the predators committed to this season and have been committed to for a long period of time. Is that sustainable with the lineup that we have? I think the answer to that is obvious. Um, and is it going to be a style of play that's going to be competitive in the NHL moving forward, even if you get the right pieces in there. So there are a lot of deeper questions. You can say it's penalties. You can always do that. Oh, it's the injuries. I don't think UC Saros injury would change the outcome of the playoff series for as fantastic as Saros is he may have been able to steal a game but Connor ingram came in and did just fine and the predators were not going to win this i look at the sort of where it jumped the shark for me is in the arizona game and that encapsulates the sickness of the Nashville Predators, you know, to be up for nothing and then to lose 5-4 and then you've just put yourself in a series with the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Like that is the moment where this team jumped the shark, where it was like, OK, I really, you know, we had reason to believe we had reason to believe uh, you gave us some reasons to believe that this team could be better than what expectations were, but. It just fell apart. I don't know. Like, how would you, how do you answer that question? How do you well, answer that? And question?
0: also, let's not forget the Calgary game from, you know, th- four days before that Arizona game where the Predators had a lead with 0.2 seconds left on the clock. Come on. And it it kind of all fell apart from there. That was the UC Soros game, of course. But I kind of want to go back to what you talked about earlier, Anne, and whether you think this... You know, identity of the predators is sustainable long term. And the thing is, if we're talking about just the identity, if we're talking about the style, then yeah, I, I think that is a sustainable thing because we've seen it around the NHL. You know, how the preds, you know, have kind of modeled themselves. That's not much different than what Calgary's doing right now. That's not much different than what the Boston Bruins have been doing for the past 10 years you know and and even there are elements of the tampa bay lightning in how the predators want to play the fact of the matter is it's just not being executed right and you look at it and i think that's maybe the most frustrating thing for me Mm ann is that this isn't you know in past years we look back at you know big predators stretch runs and we think oh yeah well they got lucky. There's definitely a couple of games that could have gone either way that you know UC Soros bailed them out on, or um, you know they're they're down three to one in the third, and then just mount this wild comeback. You know that's that was kind of the case in the past couple of Pred seasons. But when you go back and watch, you know the Predators' first half of the year when they were really really hot. That wasn't the case. They weren't hot based on fluke. Correct. They were winning games the way good teams win games, which is A, they were getting a lights out scoring from like their top playmakers. They were getting great goaltending. They were getting great contributions from their death players. And yeah, they were playing with a very physical, strong, forechecking style. So they were playing the game they wanted to play. The frustrating thing for me is that it got away from them as the season went on. And we kind of talk about, you know, uh, maybe a question I want to pose to you later is maybe who's to blame. There's plenty Mm -hmm. of it to go around. There is. Yeah. But You know, that to me is maybe why this is such a damper. You know, this isn't. Like last year against Carolina, where the Predators were clearly just lucky to be in the postseason, right. and kind of had this very very strong out of nowhere playoffs that kind of made you think that, Ooh, this this one or two things the Predators maybe could yeah. yeah yeah this was watching the Predators break down as the year went on, get cold. At the wrong time, instead of mm-hmm. hot at the right time, and then you know, at, at what's the biggest identity thing we've heard from the Predators that they've always played their best with their backs against the wall. Their backs against the wall were their their backs were there for the entire month, like the entire last month of the season, and they never found that fire. And that, to me, is the more concerning thing. It's not that the Predators are, the way they're built now, incapable of beating a team like Colorado. You know, maybe that can be a debate on what needs, what else needs to happen to get them there. But it's the fact that we have seen them play at that level. And then one day, as the season went on, they gradually fell way, 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 way below that level as the season went on
1: so much about hockey especially about the playoffs is about timing and Nashville didn't time their peak well but again it leads to another question why not why yeah. did this team click so well early in the season but not were not able to sort of push through and you know maintain that style of play that level of play and it's frustrating to not know the answer to that because so many things point to this season working better than the outcome was. You know, you had, again, record-breaking seasons for people. If you listen to any of the players, they talked about how tight this team was, that this is probably, you know, Matt Duchesne said, this is probably one of the tightest teams that I have been on. Every, You know, there's no clicks. Everybody's playing for everybody else. I think there was a lot of health mentally, emotionally, you know, among the team in the locker room. And that's something that the Predators haven't seen for a while. Um, So you have all of these things that make you think this should be a better season than how it ended. But something happened and it happened right around the All-Star break. It's like, you know, that break sort of just snapped the magic and the predators could never really get back to what we saw from them. And I think it's an interesting study in why that is, you know, you can speculate, oh, you know, that that style of play, it's wear and tear on the body and all that. I don't think that's it, because I don't think we saw a ton of injuries you know, no, I, I mean, don't know.
0: I would say that the biggest injury of the year, other than UC Saros mm-hmm. at the very end, which of course changed a lot of things, was Dante Fafro.
1: Yeah.
0: like That was yeah. the biggest long-term injury like in the second half of the season. It's not like they were playing like a man
1: mm-hmm. down. No. I mean, this was a team that health-wise was in good shape. This was a team... You know, in March, they had a schedule where they could have made a ton of progress and they didn't. And it's almost like, you know, you talked about this is a team that performs well when their back's against the wall. They did not perform well when they had the opportunity to and they weren't under pressure. And it's a younger team. And I wonder if the pressure, you know, coming down the stretch, trying to get into the playoffs, that April schedule was brutal. I wonder if maybe it was just more than what some of the young players could do. I don't know. And and that is what is so frustrating about this year, is that it it's a deep dive to get into what exactly happened. And it's, it's a complex answer of what do you do next?
0: Well, and let's get back to the question we teased earlier, which is who do you blame here? Oof. And the thing is, and like you can put blame on pretty much every group that's responsible for this. You can put the blame on the players, and they deserve a lot of it. Um, as good as Roman Yossi was in the regular season, he had a tremendous season, one of the best individual performances by a defender um, you know, in, in decades in the right. NFL. he did not show up for the postseason. No, Philip Forsberg, uh, record-setting year for him, forty goals. Um, You know, much is made. He is going to get a big contract from somebody uh, at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. He was absent for the playoffs, besides that one goal last night, which was his only point of the series.
1: And that was too little, too late. I mean, Uh, well, I
0: mean, that to be fair, that did put him ahead three to two at that point.
1: Well, yeah, but you're in, you're in game four and you just now decide to show up. I mean, that's not going to help anybody.
0: (laughs) It's fair. Um, And and there's like so many other players, you know, down the lineup. I'm not going to bring up Luke Connen, but you know, there's guys like Matthias Eckholm who played noticeably bad at times this playoff series. Um, Other, you know. Preds, fan, or Preds down the stretch that just didn't look as sharp as they did earlier this year. Uh, the herd line showed up for the playoffs, but we talked about them being a little bit absent towards the end of the regular season. Um, so and then you can kind of say, well, this isn't a team learning from their mistakes. I mean, how many times have we talked about the penalties and sort of the reckless out of position plays? Um, you can certainly blame them for that. Then there's John Hines. We love John Hines. We love the season that he has had. Uh, I I think he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, even putting the Preds in the playoffs because, hey, remember, this was a team at the beginning of the season was picked dead or second to last in the division. So he deserves some credit for getting there. He deserves credit for kind of revitalizing guys like Matt Duchesne, using Roman Yossi in a creative way. He deserves a lot of credit. But at the same time, you look at some of his decisions down the stretch. You know, we we talked about the Kunin thing. Um, Why are you kind of, you know, resetting some guys but leaving other guys in that contradict the same reasons you're taking that first guy out? You know, right. why aren't you looking at a guy like Philip Thomasino or Cody Glass who provided a spark to your team late in the season and go, OK, well, I know they're not where they need to be in terms of their development, but is there a way we can use them right now that can kind of maximize what they're doing well and maybe some of their line mates can maybe cut back on, you know, their shortcomings, you know, kind of make up for them. Um, there's that there's, and again, I don't know how much I, I blame him for this, but there's, you know, Mm -hmm. UC Staros' management down the stretch. And then, you know, at the same time, you also have to blame him for some of the player mistakes, like the penalties, because this was, you know, an issue down the stretch. We had talked about how John Hines was kind of laissez-faire about it for a long time, you know, up until it started to cost them games. And then there's the front office. This
1: is yeah, yeah.
0: This because I don't know what David Poyle is doing. Like he's he says that this is a competitive rebuild, that he's kind of interested in maybe putting some pieces for the long term, but then he balks at chances to further his team long term. And then he, you know, he will say things like, well, we didn't make a move because we really like this team. You know, we don't want to trade all these pieces. We really think they can work together. They finally work together the way you want. And then you don't make a move because you're worried about the future. So there's like this circular logic that's contradicting itself. And, you know, instead of moving in a direction, you know, the predators are moving in a circle. Mm -hmm. Like if, like, yeah, like if, if Philip Forsberg's, if you think this may be his last year, then go for it. See what you can get out of this team. Because if Philip Forsberg leaves at the end of the season and his, his, uh, his last lap, his, you know, last lap around Bridgestone saluting the crowd last night.
1: It was kind slow of, and introspective, and it felt laden with meaning.
0: Did that not feel like Peccarina a little bit in that Carolina mm-hmm. game last year?
1: Yeah, it, you know, it was a hard watch. Because I don't, I, I after this series, the way that this series was played out after you know and and i agree with you i think it's hard for anybody to pin down what direction this organization is going and then watching that last lap you go to you know go to bed last night thinking i've probably seen philip forsberg in a predators uniform playing for the last time that's a tough one
0: yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that's but that's that's kind of the reality they're playing mm-hmm. now and it's just boy if he if not back in Nashville next season and this last stretch run was all for naught, I mean, that's,
1: that's a nail in the coffin that's of a, David. That's, Boyle. that's
0: a fireable offense. A hundred percent. And again, we, <laughs> there's a lot to get to on this. We will uh, yeah. for certain, that's something we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forsberg. We're going to be talking about a little bit later in the week. Lots of other content as well. But I feel like we need a palate cleanser, Anne.
1: Oh Lord, do we ever get yeah. out the Captain Morgan?
0: <laughs> there was there was some good stuff over the past it couple was. of days. We have two preds up for awards. Uh, it Love kind of it. That shot, I put up three fingers, but I was really doing this, and I think the thumb <laughs> just it, wasn't closed all the way. Don't mean I know I know how many two is. Don't worry, Internet. Don't come um, at us. We we have Roman Yossi nominated mm-hmm. for the Norris Trophy. And we have UC Saros earning his first Vezina nomination today.
1: All right. What do you think about this Vesna nomination for UC Soros? How, were you surprised by it? What did you think?
0: A little bit. Because mm-hmm. I think players had um, maybe sexier stats, like more shutouts. Um, you know, I thought somebody like Darcy Kemper might get up there uh, for the way he's played. Um, but, you know, is... Shayna Goldman from the Athletic put out together a great article kind of detailing UC Saros's case and he's really one of the kings of the microstats in the mm-hmm. NHL this season where he is you know leading in a lot of things like you know stolen wins i.e. you know he took more games the Predators should have lost and turned them into wins than any other goaltender in the NHL he's also one of the best in saves above replacement which means he's making harder shot or making harder saves than your typical NHL goalie um, and he's one of the best in high danger saves which means you know the the shots right in front of the net the rebounds, yes. tips he's getting a better handle on that than his counterparts so It's really interesting to me that, you know, finally, uh, teams are or voters are starting to kind of look deeper into the stats, you know, instead of, you know, just looking at say percentage and shutouts and all that junk, you know, they're kind of looking more into the story of the game. So happy for UC Soros in that remark. That same thing might uh, keep Roman Yossi off of a Norris win.
1: Oh, my goodness. I thought he had a fantastic season, record-breaking season for him personally with the franchise, also climbing, you know, NHL records, you know, done some things that haven't been done in so long. But I don't know how this is going to pan out. And and it's a good thing that the vote is over when the vote is over because yeah. Roman Yossi <laughs> did himself no favors. You know, if you look at this series and you – you know, and we love Roman Yossi, think he's fantastic. But if you look at the performance of Roman Yossi and you compare it to Kale McCarr, this is a very different looking Norris trophy vote. Um, But, you know, Yossi had a lot of offensive points. I I don't know. Do you think, I don't know. For a long time, I was like, he is a for sure Norris trophy winner. He is for sure going to win the Norris. I don't know. He's the
0: odds-on favorite Mm -hmm. uh, right now, and it's going to be very interesting because you you could arguably make a case, and I know in the past you know I've kind of lambasted this argument, Um, and I want to make it clear I don't have a problem people voting for Kale McCarr Mm -hmm. for Norris Trophy. I don't have a problem with that. I think for me, what irked me was some of these you know writers who are you know completely discrediting what Roman Yossi had done Right, you know the, the takes where it's like, "Oh, I'd have him. I don't even have him on my ballot." You know, I have Devontae's out there and Jacob Slavin because you know their their metrics were were better. Uh, you know, I saw one post where it said Matt Greislik was you know more deserving of the Norris Trophy than Roman Yosi. That's the kind of stuff that irks me. I don't have a problem with people voting for Kale McCarr mm-hmm. um, because he has had a good season, and yeah, you know, a lot of the the stuff we said about Roman Yosi when he won the Norris two years ago over John Carlson you can probably make that same argument it's just for me the interesting thing about the Norris is it's going to come down to like how the voters see it is Roman Yossi's historic season you know numbers that haven't been seen in 30 years you know he's being mentioned along the likes of people like Brian Leach and Ray Bork some of the hall of fame defenseman to play this game he is in that category is that just enough to completely blow people away and saying you know what this guy was center of an offense that had so many big stars emerge this season and he was central to that do voters look at that or do they look at somebody like kale mccarr who had a very impressive offensive season and do they look at that and say, well, you know, he's his numbers were not historic, but equally as impressive, and he's got the edge in all of these actual defensive metrics, so right. he's more well-rounded. It is going to be very interesting what the voters decide. I could see this going either way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and so much of it is about interpretation of what the award is and how you gauge it there's it's not uh, consistent across the board it's really there is a a window for interpretation and when you have something you know you have a player who is making history and setting records how does that weigh against the defensive metrics of a defender award so yeah this is going to be i think it's going to be very interesting i don't think we're going to see uc Saros win the vesna no, probably you know, I don't. But thank you for the nod. We appreciate that. Um, but I would love to see Yossi win the Norris. I I don't know. I don't know. I would have told you in March. It was a lock. Um, but it doesn't feel not much feels like a lock this morning
0: <laughs> uh, is Roman Yossi on the heart ballot. Do you think? If you're talking about most valuable, yeah. I mean, if that's the way that award's defined,
1: I can see that. The problem is the preds limped to the finish. Yeah and i think that is what hurt them the predators limped to the finish and you can you can sort of asterisk that with they had one of the toughest schedules in april you can asterisk that with you know this that and the other thing but they really did limp to the finish and i don't know how much that finish is going to cancel out strong performance and his value to this team through most of the season you know it's so it's a lot about perception
0: yeah No, I agree. Uh, I think you might see him in like the top eight, maybe the top six. Uh, I don't think he's one of the three finalists, though. Yeah. I mean, maybe someday. Maybe. Well, not this
1: year. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, obviously, there is still so, Mm -hmm. so much to get to the bottom of. Um, you know, tomorrow we're going to talk about what the Preds need to do in the offseason. What are they going to do moving forward? Is David Poyle the answer? Uh, one of the big questions surrounds Philip Forsberg. What is going to happen with him? Um, is it in the Preds best interest at this point to resign him? Or is it in better interest to kind of cut their losses? That is an interesting argument of itself. Um, plus, so many things. Just because the pred season is over doesn't mean there's not going to be anything to talk about. In fact, now that the season's over, there's probably more we can talk That's about. true. Um, yes. so be sure you're tuning in every single day. We'll have fresh content to you uh, and some spicy discussion. Uh, and we're also going to have another Hot Take Tuesday coming up here in a little bit. So we're going to give you a chance for you guys to sound off on the direction of the team, um, what you think should be done, what moves would you make if you're GM, all that good stuff. Until then, and we're going to find people find you online.
1: You can find my work at ontheforecheck.com and you can find me on Twitter at Ann K underscore Mama on Ice.
0: I'm Nick Morgan. You can find me at ontheforecheck.com. If you're on Twitter, be sure to follow the podcast at LO underscore Predators. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe, and leave a comment. Let us know what you think the Preds should do this offseason. That's going to do it for us today on the Lockdown Predators podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We'll be back tomorrow with more Preds talk. In the meantime, go check out the Lockdown NHL podcast. We'll see you, everybody.